when I uh, go to recruit an engineer, one of the things I tell them, and this is a great uh, recruiting slogan, I say, come to Masterpiece. You can work overtime for free. And if you're good, we'll teach you how to leave the company. This week on TechNATO, we're going to talk about the Salesforce outage. We're also going to complain about Apple's keyboard. And we have an interview with Drew from Masterpiece Solutions. That's all coming up on TechNATO, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and uh, I am joined here by Don Pizzette here and... Uh, President. Uh, yeah, I'm calling off. And uh, Denison, Justin. Present. Okay, my uh, pigment brother uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you. It's a, it's a real letdown, though, uh, this week. I mean, it's the 101st episode now, so we have that post, you know... Celebratory. Kinda. Maybe we should just start incrementing in tens or hundreds. Oh. Is there two hundred? Another episode? anniversary. <laughs> yeah. We count differently, but yeah. one hundred one is a prime number. Uh, that's what we could celebrate. Where's yeah. the champagne? <laughs> Our continual champagne. quest for something uh, to celebrate. That is, uh, if you break out champagne over prime numbers, I'm pretty sure that's the nerdiest thing I've yeah. ever heard. Dunn's got three coffee cups, but no champagne. Or yeah, two yeah, coffee well. cups and a water bottle. I, I, I had to get enough caffeine in me to get set up for. Buzzword bingo. bingo. Oh, we need like a, a song that plays. Dun, dun. As if like, welcome to Buzzword Bingo. All right, and if you want to play Buzzword Bingo along with us, please head over to go.itpro.tv slash buzzword-bingo. Uh, download your card, fill in the spaces with whatever you think we're going to say this week uh, based on the news of the world. And then uh, we'll see if you get bingo before us. But... Uh, yeah, we're doing it today, and we're—I think we're going to do it in the interview too. So We'll—we're uh, we're cleared to, to, to make fun of people as they as they talk to us, and we do have a oh, great yeah. interview as well today. It, it should be a great day for Buzzword Bingo because we have a CEO for the uh, for the interview, and mm-hmm. CEOs are just yeah. The, if you get CEO marketing PR, oh marketing and PR, it's a given. Like just yeah. you blank out your card, and you're done. <laughs> yeah, we would have to play blackout at that point. We wouldn't be able to just do regular. <laughs> that's oh, that's that's a good point. We'll get to that. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started though uh, with our first news article of the day over on ZDNet. A faulty database script brings Salesforce to its knees. Faulty production script gave users access to all their company's Salesforce data, and so. I was. I know this even affected us. This was a big deal, and everyone's been talking about about this. But I'm kind of confused with with what happened because it sounded like, oh no, you can see all of your own company's information even if you shouldn't have uh, access to it. So we're just taking it down. Was that, yeah, yeah. That's so the approach they took to fixing it, that. It's an interesting one. So um, this was it was almost like a comedy of errors. Uh, it just, a number of things went wrong, and they they took the only action they could. But basically, the the way that the story boiled down was they were doing an update at the Salesforce headquarters. And one of the big risks that you always hear about with cloud software is you're completely beholden to that provider. And if they go down, there is nothing you can do about it. You just have to wait for them to fix it, and and that's that. Well, in this scenario, they were doing an update, and they applied a database script. And the database script ran, and it worked properly for what it was intended. But there were some customers of Salesforce that also used their Pardot product. And more specifically, there were people that were uh, enrolled in Pardot, which is a marketing platform uh, that Salesforce acquired a couple of years ago. And if you were enrolled before they had fully integrated it into Salesforce, then you met this like edge case scenario that they hadn't planned for. 
And what this script ended up doing was giving every sales representative, or just every employee of your organization, access to every single record in your organization. Now, that, that's important. Nobody had access to other companies' data, right? So it's not a data breach. It's just a screw-up, right? But in the world of sales, right? We're IT people. We don't normally think in terms of sales. But if you're a salesperson, you have leads, you have contacts, you have accounts that you call. And you're kind of competing against the other salespeople. And so for a brief window of time, you, in theory, had access to all the leads, all the contacts for the entire organization that you worked for. So you could take the number one salesperson and start digging through their information or build a contact database and then quit and leave and use that to launch your own company or something of that nature. It's not that big of a deal. I don't think it even violates GDPR or anything like that because you know, the internal, information stayed. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's not what Salesforce tries to deliver. So their immediate solution was to take it offline. And so that's what they did. They, they couldn't fix it real quick with the script, so they took it offline. The exposure only lasted maybe two and a half hours or something as far as the exposure of data. Sure. But they went offline for nine hours, I think. Yeah, it was, was a long crazy. time. And, th and that's the thing. It's like you have to make a decision of, oh, someone has a little bit too much access, so how about we just give them no access then? Because I mean, there's... Uh, I mean, I was thinking about the costs of that to a business that, that relies on Salesforce for all of their information and they can't make any calls versus what what are the potential costs that they're liable for if someone has access to too much information. The, the scenarios you mentioned, yeah, I could, I could steal the leads and things, but I mean, I think you're liable to lawsuits then for that person as opposed to Salesforce. But well, yeah. This also provided right access as well, right, oh, yeah, to yeah. all employees. So there was nothing hierarchical, no, nothing. Everybody had right access and... I guess that's what would the read though bad the write kind of makes me a little more eh, it less good. It, it doesn't feel good. Less what I what I think's funny though is I've been in Salesforce a little bit, uh, not, not anymore. Um, they really push for testing, testing, testing in these sandbox environments, and I just thought it was kind of odd that oops, we didn't we didn't hit this edge case. But it was again because they're acquiring these platforms, kind of integrating, and it happens. But it was just kind of an odd yeah. little. Whoop. They probably thoroughly tested it, but like you said, you know, if your if your test environment does not mirror your production environment, then you got a problem. Uh, and in one of the write ups I saw, they even commented how in their test environment they have all fake data because they don't want their test environment to potentially expose production data, uh, and so it's not necessarily a, a real scenario. But I don't know if either of you guys tracked Twitter during the outage, but it was hilarious because. I, IT people can be pretty funny sometimes, but salespeople almost universally have a good sense of humor because their job sucks. And, <laughs> and so, so, Tell it like know, it is, Doc. Some of Tell the comments like were hilarious, but you know, you mentioned cost. There were companies where once they were locked out of Salesforce, go home. Everybody. Yeah, they just sent people <laughs> home. To do. So one guy posted a hilarious one saying. Oh, all this time you made fun of me for printing my leads on paper every morning, <laughs> but guess who's still making money today? <laughs> so Not Salesforce. Yeah, but he was. He's doing all right. Yeah. Well, uh, so this wasn't caused by that guy. Uh, uh, I used to work for the NSA um, over in the uh, former Soviet Dick Union. Dick Cheney? Yeah, definitely Cheney. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev? No, friends of Julian. Oh, uh, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, that guy. 
<laughs> We're on to your tricks, Peter. You're not yeah. uh, getting us I, to say I, it. I noticed I also said former Soviet Union, so not to give you yeah. uh, <laughs> special help there as well. Uh, all right, well, speaking of uh, that area of the world, on our next article from betanews.com, South Korea will ditch Microsoft Windows for Linux. So um, when we say South Korea, we're talking about the government, right, for, for their applications, or are they saying... We are outlawing Windows. You can't have Windows anymore. <laughs> it it is the government. Although I, I want to go back. You said more news from that area. Well, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. I'm I meant the like former that as Soviet well. Union. Oh, okay. So and that they share one border. All right, all right. That, that's close enough. North Korea. I, I was just trying to figure out how Salesforce was linked to uh, South Korea. No, no. I was trying to get you to talk <laughs> about that guy. He's yeah. in exile. The Vladimir Putin. He's not in exile. Oh, oh. who go you're ahead. talking about is not in exile either. He's. Uh, uh, he's a wanted fugitive. Yeah, but do, doesn't oh he has asylum, right? Doesn't he have asylum? I don't. Did they grant him asylum? I don't know. I if mean, they he's did or there. Not. I don't, the listeners are going to get frustrated with this because we're talking about Sorry. somebody last saying their Sorry. name because they're on the buzzword bingo card. Yep. Uh, but let's go back to South Korea because they, uh, the South Korean government, has made the decision to move from Microsoft Windows to Linux, and what's driving this is the Windows 7 end of support cycle that's coming up. We've talked about uh, on the podcast and other episodes. Uh, Microsoft's ending that. You know, you're supposed to upgrade to Windows 10. Windows 10 has been out for a while. And every time this happens, governments across the world, actually companies and enterprises even, start looking at it and saying, hmm, how much is it going to cost to upgrade to the new version of Windows? And this is just going to happen again and again and again. Maybe now's the time to switch to Linux where the upgrades won't cost us money. Well, you know, there's always time and effort that goes into it, but at least you don't have licensing costs. And there's this false idea that most Linux distros have a longer support cycle, which they rarely do. Uh, but, you know, they, they make that decision. Well, we've seen it in Germany. We've seen it in a couple of other countries. This time it is South Korea. And I'll say of the various countries, South Korea is probably one of the most technologically advanced countries. Uh, countries to decide to make this kind of a move. So if anybody's going to be successful, it's going to be them. Uh, they have not selected a distribution yet. So I don't know if they're going to just say like, oh, we're going to Ubuntu, or if they're going to create their own distro, which again, as advanced a country as they are, I have to imagine they'll create their own distro. Uh, North Korea has their own distro. So yeah. yeah. It's definitely going to be Arch. Yep. <laughs> Build from source. Arch, all the way. <laughs> Man, these Linux jokes. They, yeah. They yeah speaking me. of Arch, we don't, we don't have it as an article, but uh, I think it was Argento shut down this week. So, mm. you know, it's, we're, we're losing distros left and right. I, I know you're a big Argento fan, aren't you? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, no, I poured out uh, a little liquor for uh, Argento <laughs> the other day. When I, don't cry for me, Thunderbird. Argento. When I read that on my, uh, on my internet machine. Uh, <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right, let's move over to The Verge now uh, for our next article. Apple tweaks its troubled MacBook keyboard design yet again and expands the repair program. A, quote, new material will be put into third-generation repaired keyboards. Any idea what the new material will be? Unobtainium. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if it's going to make this keyboard feel good, it's definitely unobtainium. Yeah. I, I have strong feelings about the keyboard. Well, what are you, what are your feelings? I, I mean, I haven't. So I will say there was a time where I had to hit the number five. It just stopped working until yeah. I rebooted. So the, there's two problems with the keyboard that most people report. So one one problem is how how short the keystroke. You know, like when you mm, press the, the key, its the key, movement yeah. is very shallow, and so that's throwing off a lot of typers. Now 
I didn't really have a problem with that, but I know a lot of people do. To me, the, the number one problem is that even a single grain of sand getting underneath a key causes it to stop working. And it is just endemic. And in the beginning, Apple wasn't fixing it. Like they were just saying, well, you got sand in it. Uh, but they extended it out a little bit to a, a year, I think, originally. And now they've extended it to everybody. If you have a MacBook with the new uh, uh, Sucky 2.0 keyboard or whatever they're calling butterfly? it. Uh, butterfly? Yeah, Butterfly. There we go. The, the new Butterfly keyboard. Uh, then, you know, they are covering it. You can, you can do a warranty call. Although, what they don't mention in this article and what Apple doesn't mention either is if you've got the original keyboard and it breaks and you take it in, they don't swap it out with a new one. This is not a, oh, we'll upgrade you. You get the same old crappy keyboard just without sand in but it. But a new crappy old keyboard. Right. So it's just going to happen again and again and again until your Apple Care runs out or until their warranty. So you know, we, you basically have a three-year time bomb on this keyboard, and that's so un-Apple-like. Like, people were okay paying way too much for a laptop when they knew they were getting a high-quality laptop. Now... This keyboard is just garbage. Is that what I have? Do I have that keyboard? Yes, you yes. have the garbage. Yeah, you keyboard. sure I, do. I, I now, be careful felt... about that space bar because there's been a couple of times where I'm like, oh, that's it's kind of that's weird, and then I'm like holding it up with compressed air and going, oh, oh there it is, and my space bar starts working. I've, I've not I've not had had one issue, and and maybe I've I've gone from a Mac to a Mac, so I've I've been used to the the feel of the keyboards but i mean i think anything is better than than what's next which will be the foldable screens which yeah. uh, will have no tactile response but i can't get sand in them the keys of the keyboard you, yeah but you get sand on your board. fingers you scratch the whole screen up no there. it's it's definitely made of really hard then glass you, you can buy a foldable screen protector yep Ooh. exactly made of glass <laughs> I like that. made of glass that's a good idea yeah it's gonna end well uh yeah so uh Apple did announce new new keyboard materials. These magic materials are going to make it better. We'll see, right? They also announced, in the next article we have, uh, that they are updating or doing a processor refresh. And so they're announcing eight core processors in their newest MacBooks. So the, the fastest Mac notebook ever. Uh, very exciting. I'm curious to see how this will go. Uh, it is their most expensive model. So this is going to cost you a pretty penny if you want it. But one thing that I've always been impressed with uh, with Apple devices is how how thin and like space efficient they are. Like if you ever take a MacBook apart, it, they use every square centimeter inside of that thing to fill up uh, with hardware. So an eight core processor puts out a good bit of heat and they've got to handle that right now. There's fans that blow right in between your keyboard hinge. I don't know how they're going to handle that in these newer ones. Just, just as a slap in the face too, if you, if you stay on that photo there, um, Don, and we can bring that up again. What do we see? Sand. Just <laughs> a mountain of sand. That, that's actually the, uh, the background for Mojave. That's the Mojave right? yeah, yeah. background. So they're right. just rubbing it in your face. So what is there causing all these problems? It's this. All, it's the, uh, where it comes that's from. Where, that's what happened. <laughs> maybe, maybe this was like, uh, what, foreshadowing? Yeah. It's like, you have seen your destruction <laughs> Here uh, of your keyboard. But it was funny when this came up, you know, 32 gigabyte RAM came out a little while ago. I forget exactly when uh, mm -hmm. the ability to have that. I immediately went for two reasons. I always do this when Apple comes out with a new computer. I go, every hardware upgrade possible on the top-end model. By the way, topped out at $65.99. Nice. Uh, which was crazy. Cha ching Yeah. Uh, number two, you used to be able to get some of these without the little touch bar at the top. So it's not even uh, an option This anymore. is not an option anymore. You know, uh, Tim... Uh, I guess the, the listeners don't know Tim. Mm -hmm. Tim's my business partner over at ITPR TV. Uh, 
he has a MacBook, and the backlight on his touch bar just went out. And he's got Apple Care, so you know they'll go in and they'll change it. But if you don't have Apple Care, it's three hundred and seventy-five dollars for the part to replace that touch bar, uh, not counting not the, labor the labor to actually do it. So wow. uh, you know, it was reported on very early when the touch bar came out that instead of creating some all new touch interface, they actually just took all the centralized logic of an iPad. And put it in there. That is an iPad, minus yeah. the Wi-Fi and, and whatever. Minus so, the cool parts of an iPad. It's Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, but but it has that adaptive uh, control select that never comes up when I need it to. And I can't get my function keys, and yeah. my escape key doesn't work. And no regular USB jacks. You know, uh, what, so <laughs> I'm still holding are, on to uh, that. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're really talking bad about Apple right now. Um, yeah, do we have a good Apple story to follow no, this we up? Don't. No, we don't. And, so uh, let's think of something nice. I, I do want to say, like, you guys are both Mac users. No, we have it. a number here in the office. I, I do tons of Mac training. Uh, you know, they used to be good. You know what I noticed, too, <laughs> that, I, that I'm missing more than, than the regular USB has been an SD card reader. You know, I... All right, I mean, I, in my job, yeah. You, I you use work in marketing with yeah. media materials. I never use the SD card reader. Yeah, me either. I yeah. miss it. I yeah. miss it like crazy. Because I, I, I have my little one that I keep in my briefcase, but sometimes that's at home, sometimes it's here, and, I, and it's never where I need it. I can't actually remember the last time I used an SD card reader. Maybe I when remember. I was messing with a Raspberry Pi and I was like uh, writing an image or something, but other than that, no. Yeah, I can't I remember the last time I had a briefcase. There's that. Well, I said briefcase. I meant, you know, my, my men's no, purse. No, you can't back off of this. You're, oh, all right. Oh, your purse? You're like, oh, wait, that's wait, worse. Yep, uh, worse. <laughs> no, every day I open it up with a little lock. Word list. They got my, my lunch. And... What's your password on that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just it's a uh, 007. No, 007, both sides. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's head over to Microsoft and see if we're happier with their announcements now. Uh, this one on MSPowerUser.com. Microsoft announced... Okay, first of all, we've got <laughs> grammatical. All right. Microsoft announced OneDrive improvements at SharePoint Conference 2019. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, gram- gr- grammatical errors aside... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the SharePoint conference is going on right now. I absolutely hate SharePoint. It is one of my least favorite software project products in the world. Uh, Microsoft disagrees, and the billions of dollars they make on it also disagrees. So who am I? But uh, they've announced a number of different improvements, but most of the improvements are actually centered around OneDrive. Now, Ooh. if you don't know already, OneDrive <clears throat> is not some magical independent platform. OneDrive is simply a... Uh, like a CSS style sheet laid on top of SharePoint. So <laughs> yeah, because when it, I go to our company OneDrive account, I look in the URL here and it says, it says blah, blah, SharePoint. blah, sharepoint.com. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. So, uh, so improvements to SharePoint are improvements to OneDrive, and they're rolling out a lot of neat stuff. Uh, some of it, honestly, I thought we already had. I don't know if we're in some kind of early release track or something. They were saying, like, uh, Full fidelity shared libraries, which just means when you have a shared library, you can see all the metadata of files, which I was already able to do. So I'm not exactly sure what. Uh, maybe maybe was new there. I mean you're an, you're an admin. Maybe that's rolling out to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. To the but uh, uh, they are also doing previews for AutoCAD DWG files, which is pretty interesting. Not quite sure how they're pulling that one off, but if you deal with CAD files. Uh, you know, having to open each one to figure out if you got the right one is a nightmare because they're so large. Mm-hmm. Previews are pretty useful. Uh, some of the other things they rolled out, though, are uh, uh, file requests, which is a, another useful one. We've run into that here at the company a few times. I need a large file, but I want somebody to send it to me, and they don't necessarily have a big storage account. You can send a file request. So I'm, I'm excited about that feature. That's one that will actually get used. The rest of it's all better integrations. So integrating better with 
Microsoft Teams, which they are like on a full-on trajectory to try and kill Slack by 2020. Uh, so they got that uh, better integration with OWA and several other things. So this was all announced just over the last couple of days at the SharePoint conference. So a lot of big things in 2019. Yeah, they'll, they'll kill Slack right after the Zoom kills, uh, kills the iPod. Um, <laughs> so it, these are things that are just announced, but we're not seeing them yet. Uh, so they, they are all announced, uh, but they're not. it's not like they're saying this is something we're planning on our roadmap. It's that they've already got it in their internal beta it. builds. Okay. So you can you can preview a lot of this stuff now, and it's all slated to roll out over the next couple of months. I want to come back and watch this in 2020 when Microsoft Teams is all the rage. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, let's go back to the Zoom reference. Right? I love the Zoom. <laughs> the, the difference here is that the the iPod was actually a good product, and the Zoom was competing against it. Slack, I, Slack is like the least user friendly. You got to open Slack to be able to judge it. Slack is where your data goes to die. It just disappears. <laughs> Slack's where messages to Don go to die. Because you, hey Don, you at your desk? No. <laughs> <laughs> Three days later, when, when Don does his, his yeah, weekly Slack day. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know why they have a search field in Slack. Like, you just leave that out. You, know, you can't search. Uh, if it's not on your screen, you're not going to get Can it. Can you search in SharePoint? Yeah. Not, okay. Not well. I, it's a SQL database on the back end. It's designed for search. I must be using the wrong yeah. terms. Because mm -hmm. the, the Dropbox search worked. This OneDrive one. Uh, we are bringing some contention. In right. We are We're super negative on this one. Listen. Yeah, I'll, I'll slack you my feedback uh, about this, but uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, all right, let's head over. God, who, who can we uh, be mad at next? Let's head over to GeekWire and find out. Uh, Cray CEO on HPE deal. Massive cloud vendors threatened our long-term survival in supercomputing. Uh, what, what's what's he all mad about? And what am I looking at? All right, so uh, Cray is a manufacturer of supercomputers, right? Uh, it, it used to be like back in the 1990s. If you looked at the top 100 supercomputers in the world, Cray had half of the darn things. The Cray XMP was their like really famous supercomputer. Uh, in fact. Do you remember uh, Jurassic Park, the original yeah. Jurassic Park movie? Oh, it's a uh, simple Unix system. And yeah, the, the kid walks in, he knows how to use all this stuff. Well, those big <laughs> servers in the background, those were Cray XMPs. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, and, uh, they, they were so big, they had benches built in, in, into the actual server so you could sit down. Wow. And yeah, it's crazy stuff. So uh, it's, you know, it's Cray? Cray. Cray. No, it's. You said it's crazy stuff, and I, I'm just helping <laughs> well, you, you talk like the kids talk. These uh, days. I'm not hip uh, to the... Uh, yeah, that computer is cray. I can dig. All right, so, uh, <laughs> so last week, big announcement that HPE, or Hewlett Packard Enterprise, uh, has decided to acquire Cray. So they want to get competitive in that, that market. You know, IBM has pretty much locked down the mainframe uh, environment with their Z series, which somehow still stays relevant year after year. So uh, HP is now going to make big moves to try and get into the supercomputer. But uh, what Cray basically said was look, most people don't need supercomputers anymore when they can just rent time in AWS or rent time in Azure. And so HP said, hey, well, if most people don't need this anymore, we should get into that business. We buy it. <laughs> and they acquired them. So I, I don't know the strategy, but uh, it yeah, seems the, awesome. And they paid for it in uh, one gallon of printer ink. Yeah, <laughs> that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, so that was that was two billion, no, one point three billion. Uh, last you know, year. HP does have a phenomenal track record of great acquisitions, like uh, Palm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, they really did some great things with that. What they, yeah, what have they done with that recently? Uh, it turned it into a patent portfolio. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> did they buy Compaq? 
Yeah. We, actually, all the HP Perliant servers, those were compact servers. Yeah. That, that's where I got my start. I, I was a uh, compact master ASE. Yeah, I, I bet you to, were busy. I, I was, indeed. <laughs> well, you know, the, their laptops and stuff were garbage, but their yeah. servers were top oh, okay. of the line, and HP really didn't change them much after that acquisition. Am I making this up, but didn't Cray announce that they're, like, they were contracted to build like an exabyte supercomputer uh, like probably about three weeks ago? I, they're still building systems, yeah. So, hmm, that's, they announced that. They sold off. Now I guess that's an HPE supercomputer. I guess so, yeah. And, you know, HP actually has a number of technologies under the hood because they, they acquired Compaq, which had also acquired DEC, which was a, you know, a high-end computer manufacturer back in the 80s and 90s. So stick all that together. Maybe they can create some systems that really do some magic. Uh, we'll see. By the way, I'm going to give you guys a free one here um, on the buzzword bingo, but I was really hoping that this story would get someone to say quantum computers. So, but I have to ask now, <laughs> what's the difference between a quantum computer and a supercomputer? And why do I have quantum computer on my thing? Because we never talk about well, that. So a, a, a quantum computer <sighs> can you, be a supercomputer, right? Okay. Uh, but a supercomputer doesn't have to be a quantum. So ah. most computers deal in binary, right? Ones and zeros. Quantum computers go a little extra step. And so they kind of have like zero... One and, and everything in between, like a zero point five, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, so they have this extra step, and it allows them to do a lot of. So instead of operating on bits, they operate on qubits, which are essentially a continuum of things. Um, so yeah, so you can be here and there and everywhere in between. Oh, like like just like quantum leap. Yeah, kind of like quantum here and leap, there, yeah. and, except not. You got Ziggy like built a, in instead of Cortana. A little more like Q in Star Trek, I think. Yeah. You know the. <laughs> you just wanted Scott Bakula. No, I just well, it's quantum. It's the same word. I figured that was that's why it's they called obviously it quantum related. Leap. Aren't you a Back to the Future fan? I am, but it just, who doesn't love quantum leap? But you got to get with Doc Brown on this. I'm sure the flux capacitor had something oh, quantum. Yeah, on. you know. No doubt. Now that I think about it, we didn't talk about this the other week. Have you guys seen Avengers Endgame? I'm going to keep this totally relevant to uh, Technado. I, I have not. No, I have. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? No, I don't watch cartoons. You need to a, see it. It's a is it's, it live action? Yeah, it's a, it's a movie. It's from this company called Marvel and Disney. You oh, might have heard of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they prove in the movie that everything inside of Back to the Future is wrong. Yep, uh, they, they do. specifically call out Back to the Future. Yep, prove it. All right, well, yep. So now you got to go. Throw now it I got to go watch it with just yell at the screen. <laughs> yeah, you got to buy a fifteen dollar movie ticket and a thirty dollar bucket of popcorn. But here's the thing: if you haven't watched any of the other, you got to go back and watch all of those first because you're not going to know no, the doesn't, context. It doesn't make any damn with, sense. You can just see this one. Watch the one with the Iron People, and, uh, <laughs> the Iron people. Captain USA, and all they just make up stuff. They're throwing in characters, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and they make you think there was some other movie that introduced them, and it doesn't matter. Uh, Hammer guy, <laughs> MC Hammer. I think yeah. that's who it is. He yeah. uh, all right, uh, <laughs> let's over, head over to Tom's Hardware now. Um, talking about Windows again. Windows 10 May 2019 update is now available. Now, does that mean that the uh, October update from last year is is available now too? Or? No, they abandoned it. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they said screw like, it. Can we, are we allowed to call this? <laughs> uh, so you know, it's funny because this one. They, they named it the May 2019 update, but it's significantly behind as well. Uh, last year, it was the, uh, oh, shoot, it was the 18, 1809 update that I had- probably s- mentions it yeah, down here. It was yeah. the 1809 update that came out in October, but they had to keep suspending it, right, because of, of problems? Well, this one is the 1903 update, which 
03 is March on most people's calendars, but they've called it the May 2019 update because that's when they finally managed to get it out the door. <laughs> it was originally supposed uh, to happen in 1903 is when they were oh, yeah, put yeah, this yeah, out. Yeah. It, uh, it was actually powered by Steam. It's and, yeah, uh, that long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is out. Uh, you'll see it rolling out on your laptops, desktops, personal computers. If you're in a corporate environment, you do have control over whether that rolls out. If you don't want it, you can certainly pause your updates right inside of Windows 10. They rolled that feature out a few weeks ago. Uh, Should we do that? It is coming along. Uh, so I, I was giving you a segue. I've installed it on my laptop. I've installed it on my desktop. I had been running some earlier versions anyway, uh, but I, I haven't had any problems. But if we stay on Tom's hardware, our very next article is on how Windows 10 restore points don't always work. And the specific example they show is when applying the 1903 update. So um, they applied an update to one of their machines. It hosed the machine. And after that, they restored, and once they restored, it completely broke the restore point system. So there are some flaws in the update. If you're in a corporate environment, you want to make sure you do adequate testing before rolling this one out. But it is available. You can jump in and get it. Um, none of the features are really anything to write home about, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rush yeah, out to apply this Yeah, is it more security stuff? Or? Uh, well, the, the security stuff is a roll-up of updates that were already out, so it just kind of saves you a little time when setting up a new system. Uh, some of the other features are you know, some of the continuity stuff where you can like sync your Android phone notifications as a part of this one. Uh, uh, there's a few other like bells and whistles that are in there. Uh, just not really anything to go crazy for. I feel compelled to, to circle back to an earlier story where we went on a, like a horrible Apple rant, and at least we don't have to deal with that. That's all I'm going to say. No restore oh, points, with no, no, no updates. Yeah. I mean, it's never happened to me, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen and, and mess up. As sure as I'm sitting here tomorrow, Next week's my article, computer time machine <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. I would say that it does happen, but they have a better PR team, right? So, uh, I mean, Peter, have, have you upgraded to Mojave yet? No, sir. Yeah, so like, I did. And, and why didn't you upgrade to Mojave? Because I use two monitors through a docking station. And Apple breaks hardware drivers with every major update. And they break Adobe with every major update, one of their biggest software partners. And, you know, so, but they have a better PR team. You. Oh, I believe we were mad about that for most of 2018. <laughs> we talked about this story. See, that didn't affect me, so I just assumed it didn't happen. It's what? because you boot your Mac up and then go right into a Linux Yeah, VM. so what do you do? Ah, yeah. You don't use SD cards? You don't use Adobe products? I don't even know why I have a computer, really. Single I need, like, a, an abacus and some yeah, it, papyrus scroll. He has a Raspi at his desk, and he's set. <laughs> That's why he loves the keyboard, because he doesn't touch it. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's pristine, like I just bought it. All right, we've made fun of Apple and Microsoft, so now uh, let's touch on Google here. Uh, head over to cloud.google.com. Notifying administrators about unhashed password storage. That's a, that's a headline. Yep. Yep. That's so a, uh, Google started sending out some emails to a couple of Google business subscribers. Or see, this one's really confusing because this particular flaw affected customers that enrolled in uh, G Suite 15 years ago Jesus. when it was called Google Docs. Or, yeah, it's actually just called Google Docs in the beginning. So that product has evolved a lot, right? You had Google Docs, then it became Google Docs for Business, then it became Google Apps, then it became... Was it at some point G-Docs? Like they shortened that? Or am maybe. I making that up? I don't know. Or that might have been the original name for all oh, I know. Dude, it's uh, a rap group. But it? it is now G Suite. What, whatever the hell the product is called. Because <laughs> it's just going to change next month. We're going to make this podcast timeless. So, uh, <laughs> so whatever that Google Suite is... In the very early days, so 15 years ago, when this stuff rolled out, 
uh, they actually made it where your passwords were stored unhashed. And that way administrators could actually view what the user passwords were. Now, in the security world, that's a really bad practice. And so- It was a different uh, time. It, it was a different time. In, in their defense, it was, 2005. It was a different yeah. time. Was that an accepted practice 15 years ago? Yeah. I, I worked at companies where, and this is not necessarily a justification, but uh, where they would routinely take their Active Directory domains and decrypt all the passwords so that the help desk had access to the password list. So that when people would call and say, I forgot my password, and they would say, well, here, your password is blah, blah, blah. Uh, and uh, like that was a that was a routine. Now what do we do? Oh, you forgot your password? Here, I'll reset it for you. Yeah. Right. And and that's the new practice. So Google adapted. They they hash all their passwords now. Administrators do not have access to user passwords. Administrators can reset them. Right. So that's all stuff they've done. But they found, looking at uh, you know evaluating some of their code and doing security audits like they do, they found where some customers that signed up under the original program way back in the day their passwords are still being stored in an unhashed form that was accessible uh, to administrators. So there wasn't a hack. There wasn't a, a breach, right? There wasn't a, a compromise like that. They found it in their own internal audit, but they are notifying people. Various press outlets are reporting on this different ways. If you didn't get an email from Google, like I, I actually have a, a Google Docs uh, business account from the very beginning, from when it first launched, and I, I didn't get notified. So uh, Oh, maybe it went to my spam filter, or <laughs> yeah. I'm just not affected. No, it's um, in your promotions folder. And, oh yeah, it's cluttered. But uh, anyhow, so that's what happened, and you know they're they're working on it. So I thought they did a good job, you know, disclosing yeah. this, even though it wasn't a breach. So nothing we need to do. It's fix is being done for us if we fall into that category. Well, what they're saying is, if you are one of the affected, like if they notify you, uh, you need to reset passwords. So this is only people that haven't changed their passwords since 2005. Um, or as you continue to change your password, would it change? As you continue it... to change your password, it would wow. change. Yeah, and they're basically saying, look, there were Google employees, people that worked on that team at any point in the last 15 years could have potentially accessed those passwords. So uh, you would need to reset your passwords. And Google even said, if you don't reset your password, we're going to wait a few weeks, and then we're going to force you to do it. So, yeah, that that's going to happen. Okay. Um, well, speaking of password cracking, uh, head over to Slashdot.org. New John the Ripper cracks passwords on FPGAs. Uh, so what, John the Ripper is a program, right? Yeah, we, uh, okay. we've used it in a number of shows. Uh, Daniel uses it in the Pentest Plus and Security Plus shows and things like that. Uh, All right, did he use that on... Uh, we used it in the, the webinar. The webinar, yeah. right? Okay, that yep. was the tool he used. When he was brute forcing that. user passwords. So that's it, what it is, a password brute forcer. You can throw a library at it and it goes... Uh, it hasn't really changed at all in years and years. I was really surprised to see an update, but an update rolled out this week that allows it to not just use your regular CPU, but it can use graphics card uh, GPUs. It can use FPGAs. Uh, it can use all sorts of accelerated hardware to be able to brute force passwords way, way faster than before. And it just shows how our encryption has to keep up with these technologies because the attack tools are, are getting boosts like these. Now, I, I got to be honest, I didn't know... FPGA. Um, can can you bring us up to speed on what an FPGA is? So, are you trying to get me to say a word? No, I'm not. Oh, okay, no, I brought it up no, here no. because I was like, I, I, I searched for, for it. it. He searched for it, and, so. and okay. I'm like, I've never even heard of that. He's like, that didn't that, help. Uh, That's what you thought. Was. So yeah, are, like, are well, you familiar are with words. like floating point calculations? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you, when you do math inside of a computer, way back in the days, we go all the way back in history. Like if you had a 386 
system. Okay. Uh, you know, back this would be like uh, late '80s, early '90s. Uh, they started offering these math coprocessors. So you had your main CPU that was designed for general calculations, and then you had a math processor that would stick on side of that uh, to be able to do advanced math a lot faster. And then starting with the 486 DXs, I, I think is so. what it was, they started integrating it into the CPU itself. Okay. Well, over the years, the stuff your CPU can do has gotten really advanced. Like, if you get an Intel processor today, it can do AES encryption accelerated in hardware right inside of the die, uh, and that is a huge performance boost. Well, FPGAs are where you might have some kind of functionality in your CPU or you might not, and so you're using add-ons like daughter boards or uh, ASICs, uh, application-specific integrated circuits that are attached to the motherboard uh, that are designed to specifically accelerate a particular function. You see it, uh, like commercial web servers will oftentimes have the offload boards for doing SSL and TLS. Uh, they don't really do SSL anymore, but the, the TLS encryption and decryption, they can take that load off. And they're faster because they're designed to specifically do one thing. They're not general purpose. Was this covered in my CompTIA IT fundamentals and I just missed it? Probably not. Okay. I, uh, Probably not. Okay. Yeah, that, and do you know what it stands for, Don? Uh, no, I don't. Ah. See, I noticed he hadn't do said you know? it yet. Well, I know because I'm looking at well, it so now. I always screw it up because you also had the uh, the pin grid array, right? The floating pin grid array, which was the old Okay, so you've processor. got one of oh, the words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is what laptops used to use. They, they don't anymore. Uh, so this one, I imagine it's floating point something something. That's exactly what I said. This I was like, oh, floating, floating point gate arrays. And then I was like, Something doesn't sound right there because usually I associate them with mm -hmm. very specialized like processing, right? Maybe scientific computing or something like that. Field programmable, field programmable gate arrays. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the, the field I think actually might be reference to a quantum thing. <gasps> oh, they're not oh. quantum computer. They don't go that far. We would have gotten there <laughs> organically. <laughs> but yeah, they are you know specifically designed to perform a function. And they do it fast. Well, we learned something today, and yeah. I hope you learned something at home as well. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's the goal, isn't it? Uh, all right. Let's head over to uh, uh, Stack Overflow now. Uh, update to security incident. Um, this is from May 17, 2019. So uh, when we said Stack Overflow before, Justin said, uh-oh. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have a feeling Justin might know a little bit more uh, about this than, than I do. But uh, you guys want to tell us what happened with that? Yeah, they, you know they had a security incident back on the seventeenth, right? But the update... way to take it there, Justin. Well, the, the, Don knows more about the security <laughs> than I do. Oh. All I know is no, I know about kidding. Stack Overflow. Is I go, yeah, what is this thing? Ah, oh, well, I found an answer, and then there's a bunch of other answers that are yelling at me for not knowing the answer. So then <laughs> I just figured that was the impetus for the security <laughs> incident. So somebody got mad at getting yelled at. And <laughs> yeah, them. but that's just my. Opinion. That's sure. how I perceive it. Yeah. Uh, but let's actually get on with I'm the sorry, meat and potatoes, ahead, Don. uh, and Don's going to know more. You're about absolutely that. right, though. If you ever want to doubt your own skills, <laughs> like just ask a question on Stack Overflow, <laughs> yeah. and uh, everyone will tell well, you. If how I, if I you search are. on there, what is FPGA? Or I'll, I want to see. Well, you, you'll are. find like one voted up real answer, and then yeah. everything else will be telling you how stupid that person is for asking the question. Yeah. Uh, or they'll lock it. Is my yeah. favorite. <laughs> they'll go. This is an opinion based. I go. I'm asking how to create a connection with NetCat. Yeah, but your opinion is that you could create a connection with NetCat. That's not even possible. Yeah, Wait. they'll do that a lot. <laughs> I, I will say it is an interesting community. But we haven't even talked about the incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah the incident. Think. All right, they had a security incident. Attackers were able to get into a Stack Overflow system. Uh, we reported on that, right? But at the time, they didn't have all the details. Now they do. That's the update, which just came out. Uh, actually, it's been updated even today. 
which is a shame because I read it yesterday. So hopefully they haven't changed it too much. But uh, but basically what they said is they figure out what happened is uh, they had a staging server. So not one of their production servers, but a test environment server that they had spun up and it was not properly secured. Uh, an attacker was able to use some credentials to be able to get into that system, which, like, there's flaw number one. Your staging systems, your your testing systems should not be exposed to the Internet. These were. Uh, so the attacker was able to get in. Once they were in, they were able to roam around that system. They were not able to access production systems, but they did find records on that server uh, that belonged to uh, about 250 public network users, so people who use the actual production site. So pretty small exposure on this one, uh, and I'm glad they at least had the logging and stuff in place to be able to identify that, but the scope is pretty small on this one. She said 250? Yeah. This is saying on the top here, uh, 184. Oh, so, oh, actually, it says the affected 184 public network users have been notified via email. Yeah, the, head, the headline says, update uh, May 17, 2019, then... The first line of the article says update May 23rd, 2019. So this is just kind of right. then. So originally, I guess one of the updates was 250, and now they've reduced it to 184. I wonder if they've launched a uh, assassination campaign to get the numbers down. Like, we don't <laughs> report it if Whoa. people are dead. Wow, that escalated <laughs> really quickly, didn't it? Uh, there was no hack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Show what me you're someone who's about. been hacked. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, no, we locked it. No, that was <laughs> so there was no hack. That's that w- the way to do it, right there. Yeah, that uh, the hacking was opinion based only. <laughs> that would happen over in that uh, former uh, communist. Oh uh, uh, yeah, what's that country called? Uh, with the, that's the one. Yep, that's oh. the one. Yeah. <laughs> former Czech Yugoslavia area. Okay, uh, let's head over to digitaltrends.com now. Uh, millions of Instagram influencers reportedly had private data exposed online so now everyone knows where they get their their tank tops and uh you know all the the cool things that instagram influencers uh do privately that's that's gotta be rough you know so when i saw this article come across i kind of ignored it because i don't use instagram and i don't really know anybody else who does don and i had to, i was like oh, i don't care <laughs> <laughs> that was my response I've, I've never even been to the instagram website uh, <laughs> so so if you have a Facebook account, you indirectly have an Instagram account because it's a Facebook company. Congrats. Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, they're like, oh, you go on Instagram? I'm like, what, what is it? They're like, oh, it's pictures and stories. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going there. Well, I, I think I'm really missing out because apparently they have millions of influencers, <laughs> which... Yeah, it said the database contained information such as phone numbers and email addresses for about 49 million Instagram influencers comma, celebrities and brand accounts. But I was like, there are 49 million Instagram influencers? Who are they influencing? Just each other yeah, at that point? Yeah. Well, you know, you have a marketing background, Peter. What the hell is an influencer? Like, what, what, can we define that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, an influencer is, is essentially someone who has an influence through their social media so that uh, they're looked to as, a, as an expert in a topic. So... I mean, the, the stereotypes and the people that get the bad raps are the the uh, Instagram influencers or just push detox teas and, uh, you know, weight loss shakes and things like that. And so those just, aren't real? Well, they're they're real people. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm talking about the detox tea because I they're real need products. to go pour this out. What is, like, <laughs> what is a detox tea? It I'm, makes you skinny. I think it just makes you go to the bathroom a lot. And, I, is it tapeworms? <laughs> I hear that's effective. Tapeworms. tapeworms are effective and all natural. Uh, yeah. Or environmentally friendly. Organic tapeworms. Just so we have some deniability, they can kill you. Oh. So. Well, yeah, but what can't, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Instagram. Because I don't go there. <laughs> yeah, if you never go. Well, what you, you're, you're missing out. Uh, Big time. I don't feel like I am. Yeah, so they got breached, and uh, now our teenage advertising world has been rocked. So now we know all of the personal information about people who post all of their personal information about what they're doing all day. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. You know... I still don't understand this influencer thing. What, what don't you? What get? are they influencing? So, so like for example, I'll, I'll give an example. Like a, a hotel would pay, you know, oh Don, you have a million uh, people that follow you on Instagram and look at all of your amazing pictures of your your travel. We'd like you to come stay at our hotel for free and post pictures about how great the pool area is and and all you use. That the, sounds like the a bra. Center. Uh, that is a. Yeah. Uh, is an endorsement. It's a product endorsement. Endorsement, bribe. Now, well, it, it, yeah, tomato, tomato. I, I mean, that's where you get into all the rules um, that you have to say sponsored posts and things like that. Like, that's a whole. Uh, Can I do that, that in court for the longest time? Can you like judge? This is a sponsored conviction. Can I just sure. hand him money? Does that rule apply there? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we could make that work somehow. <laughs> he just got really uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, well, I, I'm not a lawyer. On. I don't want to give you advice. I don't know about. Before we move on to our next article, have I told you guys how great Opus Coffee is? It is it's just phenomenal. You know, it's a uh, home roasted, uh, all natural. Yeah. <laughs> hey, are you going to post that on Instagram? Yeah. And. The amazing new keyboard found on the Apple Macs. I have yet to find a keyboard more comfortable uh, and just designed for my see, creative See, now you've flow. given up your but, integrity. But for dollars? Yeah, no, of course. I'm just saying, you're, you've made it now as an I've Instagram influencer. Oh, oh, so does influencer mean that you have to sell out? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, the first oh, okay, step. Okay, okay. My, my favorite terms part of service. is that I don't have to set up an Instagram account because I can just go and get the credentials from one of these millions of influencers. Sure. Yep. <laughs> so yep. the sign-up process is fast. Yeah, you are all set. <laughs> uh, it'll be like, well, this used to be a picture of a girl in a bikini uh, with a detox tea, and now it's some guy co- talking about coffee. Oh, yeah, it's, now it's just an Opus coffee cup. Chiching. <laughs> all right. In a bikini. Uh, let's head over now to securityaffairs.co. Uh, which one's the headline? The bottom one here? No. Oh, yeah, it's kind of nested in there. The, Wait, it the, is a smaller the, font. I know it's just a smaller font. That's like the H1 text is bigger or is smaller than the the H2 here. Uh, Cisco Talos warns of hard coded credentials uh, in Alpine Linux Docker images since 2015. Uh, December 2015, Alpine Linux Docker images have been shipped with hard coded credentials, a null password for the root user. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like uh, it's worse than the Google thing because it's happening. Uh, Ten years later, this is a uh, this is a genuine real problem. Uh, the, the website is somewhat comical because uh, there are multiple hooded people. <laughs> on the yeah, site. The guy so, in the top. But uh, if we set that aside, the rest of it, uh, the news actually comes from Cisco Talus Research Labs, which is one of the most reputable security labs in the world. Uh, and the Alpine Linux Docker image is an official Docker image available from the, uh, well, the official Docker repos. Uh, if you've been pulling it down, it has null for the root user. Now, with a Docker image, a lot of times you're just focused on delivering a very particular service. And so the risk is not that great. But if a attacker were to find any way to escape out of that application, the they've already got root access within that container. So being able to seize control of a container becomes trivial. From there, they can try and escape the container to get into the underlying systems, which they may or may not be able to do. But either way, they're going to be able to seriously mess with your application. So uh, it just goes to show that when you're pulling down these container images, you can't trust that they've spent any time on security at all. 
you're oftentimes better off going with uh, uh, images that have been a little better vetted or images that you built yourself. So it's interesting because you always hear this uh, when, when you're looking at Docker containers or, you're, oh, I need to deploy an application, but my image is really large, you know, like two gigabytes. I just move it to Alpine. This is a way to make those images smaller so you have better uh, launch times. And if you're using orchestration software like Kubernetes and wanted to run replicas, that could be really fast. But again, you're just like, oh, well, now I have a bunch of things that have default credentials or null mm -hmm. password uh, root access. And you should always be careful of Docker because a lot of times that's the default user that starts up is a root user. And if it has access to your file systems or anything like that, uh, shenanigans. I wonder. We're all checking containers off of our buzzword bingo cards. I wonder if they found that uh, having a root password slowed down boot times. Like we're going to speed this up. Yeah, passwords. Passwords are dumb. Yeah, yeah. It's a Spectre uh, fix because it speeds things up. It would be the opposite. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> good. Good try. I had, I appreciate. <laughs> I don't know how computers work. <laughs> I appreciate your attempt and just. Like, you looked happy there for a moment, and then we snuffed it out. Story it was, of my life. It was very close. Though. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, you, well, let's run with what Peter's saying, though, because yeah. you, could, you could leverage That's this. I'm, I'm going to make you smart again, Peter. Um, <laughs> so if somebody compromises the container, and they've got root access at that point, they could then pull off a Spectre exploit and you know, leverage Spectre and Meltdown to try and... Which is clearly what I meant. Yes, Obviously. I'm yeah. sure. I mean, I knew it. You're close. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, we just checked off uh, container here. We'll get another one in this story <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I, I love that this story is here, uh, our next one, because when I remember back when we went to CES, uh, I want to say 2016 or 2017. It was a while back. It might have been 2017. Um, that uh, we were doing some interviews, and Don had a rule. And it was uh, uh, no – what was the other thing that you had? It was uh, – no LED screens. No, yeah, no TVs and no drones. And no drones and no uh, VR. Oh, no reality. VR. Yeah, I had to draw a line on that one, Which too. we did end up doing one. That yeah, I had to wear that stupid headset. Yeah. And, and that company, did you ever follow any of that? I, I know that, that Don basically wore a VR headset of a company that showed up uh, to CES and that, in turn, apparently... Like swindled a kick, all the Kickstarter backers. Yeah. And they, so then they, people were reaching out to Don, like, "Where do we get our headset? Where's my headset?" <laughs> I, I wear this headset for like thirty seconds, and it, you know, it turns out that company they they took over a million in funding and never shipped a single unit. We should have we should have uh, been skeptical of the fact that uh, we met them in a booth that was just <laughs> it turned out to just be like a spot in between two booths where there was a pole, and they were like, they had just claimed this. As I their thought booth. you were going to say down by the river. <laughs> no, it's like CES. You're like, booth, booth. Oh, there's a pole, so obviously there's no booth here. Hey, who are these people that just set up their little stand to to sell this uh, VR headset? They had a pop-up sign and everything. Like They, 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 they popped up and it looked like a booth. They were ready. Uh, good times. That was the year that someone else was uh, uh, cracked down by the, the FBI because they were selling um, Chinese fakes as well. Of, yeah. Of... Uh, I want to say it was those hoverboards, right? Well, the, so it was It was like there were two competing companies where one had a patent on the yeah. one-wheel uniboard, oh, I think is what they called ones. it. Yeah. yeah. And the other company had a booth, and the first company had already, like, won a judgment against them. And so apparently they – Apparently the U.S. Marshals handled yeah, they, this. Oh, the, the Marshals, the Marshals right. came in. Yeah, they waited till they showed up to. Yeah. And, and so the next day when we walked by that booth, it was just press taking pictures of this empty space yeah. to, for their Which, articles. That story took a weird twist a year later because mm -hmm. the the second company actually won in court that their 
their device, they had shown they had changed it to not infringe on the patents. And so that whole thing was wrongfully done. You know, the marshals don't make a judgment on that. But uh, uh, so the original company ended up losing and having to pay damages. Wow. Well, that is not what this story is about. (laughs) Uh, This story over on Reuters.com, DHS warns of data threat from Chinese-made drones. So is is Huawei making drones now, or or all (laughs) all the drones that we're buying just sending uh, all of our our images and things back to to China? Well, so this one, as far as I can tell, is not a credible threat yet. They're warning of this possibility. They're saying, look, if you have an unmanned vehicle with the ability to film and gather data, and it's potentially shipping that data back to a, a, a server in a foreign country, so like China, or I think they go as far as to say like any authoritarian government, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that that's a risk that you know they could be using that as remote surveillance, uh, and you shouldn't do it. Now, I think. I think this whole warning was really designed to hit that buzzword, drones. I, I know you weren't able to market. Yeah, I know. You said, you said I, unmanned device. I, I'm like, come on, buddy. I intentionally dodged it. I was going to say uh, unmanned aerial vehicle, yeah, but UAV. then that's more like the militarized yeah, ones sure, yeah. or weaponized. Which, uh, which, these which are, I'm pretty sure are. count in this. Well, yeah, right? You yeah. should not buy those either. Yeah, I get those from North Korea. Is that wrong? Uh, but, South you know, Korea is where you should get them. Oh. Most drones don't ship their video footage back to a foreign server. But there are tons of security cameras that do, right? And nobody's up in arms about Foscam and their stupid peer-to-peer network they set up the moment you plug them in. That is a real credible threat. I don't know why DHS isn't warning on what that. What kind but. of idiot would have a Foscam? <laughs> well, I, I used to have some, you know, yeah. in, in... In his dining room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now. The difference is you have one right now, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can't trust the American ones either. They're phoning back to their own companies, but I don't know. This one seems a little misguided, but they're saying don't use drones that potentially send footage back to so foreign countries. At the risk of, of sounding um, stupid here, which I've been doing all day, what? Wh- where are you going to find a drone that's not made in China? Um. Like maybe maybe in American China, maybe company. they import ones over there. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, where do they get their drones from? Um, because this is not saying uh, U.S. Uh, don't buy it from from Chinese based companies, but it's saying Chinese made drones. So it could be like U.S. company or, or someone like that. That yeah, that is uh, you know offshore. I mean, you can there. make your own. You can sure, but parts that come from where? Uh, Taiwan, South Korea. Yeah, I guess you pick <laughs> Hong Kong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, they specifically call it DJI. Uh, Did they call it? And okay. I, I thought DJI was here in the U.S., but uh, they, they're a Chinese company. the manufacturing, company? Uh, I'm sure, it takes place somewhere else. So. Yeah, but I, I thought the company itself was American. I well, but that's what I'm saying. Wrong. They're just saying Chinese manufactured, not not Chinese-owned companies. So it's not like the Huawei's and, and things. They're saying, don't buy them oh, right. from but, a company with, with Chinese-made drones. But they go on to say, China's SZ DJI oh, yeah. Technology Company Limited. So, oh, like, so it, it is, is a Chinese a, okay. company, hmm. uh, you know, regardless of where they build them. Uh, yeah, so, but I, I don't know an American company that makes drones. There's, there's probably some. I, actually, there's one here in town. It's not for public consumption. Oh, Altavian? Pro... Oh, yeah. They make military drones, though, a yeah. lot of time, or, like, surveying drones and things. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, very specific. Hey, you know what I just heard? Business idea. American drones. It can be like an eagle. Yeah. If you couple that with a VR helmet and an LED TV, I think you got a big winner. Uh, you, you know what? You know what? It really needs to be on 
a, a brand new network, not the the fourth gen. Oh, six G. Ah, yep, you got me. <laughs> oh, that's gonna get you close. Yeah, not all the way. Yeah, yet. it is. Uh, speaking of it, a drone, looks like an eagle. Have you have you guys seen that taxidermy drone? Oh, the one where you like out of put a cat. So that guy does a bunch of different ones. Does he? Okay. Yeah, he has like squirrels oh, and cats. I'll this is a real video. Yeah, yeah, if you search, if you search cat drone, you know, well, let's go to our interview. When we come back, we might have to check out if there's a cat drone uh, out there. But it, it's worth a look. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, every week I'm like, uh, this segue is going to be good this week. Nope. So now let's go ahead over to our interview. Uh, we're going to talk with Drew Cohen, and uh, Drew is with Masterpiece Solutions, uh, and they're doing some new stuff in terms of how they uh, how they work with, with government contracts. Don's looking at cat drones over here now. And I'm, I'm seeing him out of the corner of my eye. I see do not bring the whole screen up on the Just <laughs> horror. He's trying to hold it together. Just horror on his face. But that's going to keep you to come back uh, <laughs> to the yeah. end of this. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, and head over to Drew now and into uh, that interview. Uh, but stay tuned because we've got more Technado coming up right after this. My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. IT directors often hoard so much knowledge that it's hard for their team members to learn. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide this is important for me to learn. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. Welcome back to Technado, and as promised, we have an interview now lined up all the way from Baltimore, Maryland. Beautiful, sunny Baltimore, Maryland, it looks like. Uh, we have Drew Cohen joining us. Uh, Drew, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And so uh, you are the CEO of Masterpiece Solutions, but I also know you're involved with something called Launchpad. So why don't you just start by helping us kind of understand um, what is Masterpiece, what is Launchpad, how do those two things work together? Sure, we've got two businesses that are very synergistic, but uh, but definitely different from each other. So Masterpiece Solutions is a government uh, technology services company. So that means we're on contracts uh, to the government to help them build mission critical systems. We're in Columbia, Maryland, and our biggest client is a, uh, a government uh, intelligence agency in the area that we can't name and doesn't really exist. Uh, <laughs> So, um, but most of our engineers work on contracts for that agency and they work on uh, cyber contracts, security contracts, cryptographic contracts, and that's kind of the skill sets that they have. And um, over the past couple of decades, there's been a lot of growth in that area and a lot of, and, and a lot of um, transformation of companies that support that agency to be staffing companies. And a lot of the engineers that we have are actually pretty uh, creative technologists and want to start their own companies. And so we have Masterpiece Launchpad, which is an accelerator that allows engineers that are working on at Masterpiece Solution uh, the opportunity to create their own product companies and spin them out. And, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of Silicon Valley happening here in Columbia. So this is really interesting because we, we've talked to a number of other companies that offer like um – uh, well, maybe consulting services, but what they're usually doing is they've developed a security product and they're trying to get the government to implement that. But your your team is actually helping the government create their own product, right? So it, it, it's 
kind of almost a like thing. a yeah like a freelancer type model but I, I it seems like that would be an incredibly complex thing to to do like I'm thinking about people having clearance and being able to get in and work with with sensitive systems so um, how have you overcome some of those challenges to make it where it's easy to get people in there developing so I, I would say that um, it's not easy right this is a this is a community where there's almost negative unemployment right cleared talented engineers have their choice of companies they want to go to and um and in some sense that's the hard problem is how do you solve a talent problem and the challenge is that most of the companies they can go to are very much the same right they're staffing providers to the government and so the way we overcame that is offer them something that they don't get in other places, and that's the chance to start their own businesses. And so the synergies between the two, so having Masterpiece Launchpad actually attracts engineers to Masterpiece to work on contract. Uh, and then as they're doing that, um, we help them learn how to start a business because working on a government contract is very different. Um, in fact, last night we had the latest cohort of our lean launchpad class. So we actually teach a modified version of the startup owner's manual, which is the course book that's taught at Stanford for lean launchpad. And we've kind of adopted it to this area. And one of the things we show people is, you know, when you're working on a government contract as a, as a, as a software engineer to do development, your focus is about 80% development, maybe 10% on the usability and user features but you really don't get to own the mission or the value proposition because those were in the contract that, you know, so they kind of predated having the assignment. When you go to start a business, it totally flips. You have to decide what problem are you solving? What's the value proposition you're delivering? And that becomes, you know, 60% of the problem and implementing it becomes, you know, a smaller percentage. And so helping people kind of navigate that inversion is kind of interesting. Now, the, the, the idea for one of these companies is solving some kind of a problem that came from a, a government agency. Once they form their own business and they kind of get that kickstarted, uh, not necessarily with Kickstarter, but, uh, you know, once they get that going, are they dealing exclusively with the government or do they turn around and make these products available to just like regular enterprises, regular people? So great question. So really, the, the startup businesses we're launching are not actually commercializing the problems they're solving uh, within the government. What they are is commercializing some of the core skills. So for example, we're just getting ready to launch a um, a, uh, a digital signing application, an e-signing app, kind of like a DocuSign or a SignEasy, um, but we're adding blockchain and digital signatures and cryptography to that. So you really know who's signing what and creating more trust. And so they're taking the skills and knowledge of cryptography and um, adding that to a commercial application to make a more trusted commercial application. That's not what they do on the inside, but there's not that many people, you know, the skill set of people who know how to build strong cryptographic uh, solutions, you know, those are not, you don't find those uh, everywhere. All right. So at, at Masterpiece Solutions, you, you have access to engineers or, or, you know, engineers are coming and seeking you out because you've, you've got this uh, basically system in place where you can find, well, solutions that are needed inside of the government. So 
what's driving that? Like, if, if I work for a government agency, I identify some kind of a need and then reach out to you. So, like, what, what, what type of need are you guys seeing? Is there one particular area? So, on the government services side of the business, Masterpiece uh, Solutions is typically a subcontractor to large companies like Lockheed, Norfolk Grumman, Lidos, Raytheon, and they have large prime contracts and their challenge is they can't find enough of the very talented people to fill those positions. So really on the services side of our business, it's a talent placement problem. So we aren't, it's the, the problems that we're working on are problems the government's contracting for. We're not the company that actually goes and chases those contracts. What we do is help the companies that chase those contracts actually provide the talent to go implement them successfully, right? And so, um, and the reason we can get that talent is because we're optimized to build a great, um, a great environment for really talented engineers to work. And so, for example, one of the things I tell the engineers to come to Masterpiece is, I'm not gonna ask you to go write proposals and chase government contracts. We're gonna leave that, if you wanna do that, go work for Lockheed. Right. That's so. pretty funny. Like you've identified an area that I've noticed more than once is that you know the companies that are making these bids don't actually have the capability to deliver what they're bidding on. So so you're the people behind the scenes that are kind of making that happen. <laughs> Otherwise, they would just fail. Yeah. And well, and a lot of our guys are really the the aces on a number of the contracts we support, and we're on almost every large mission program uh, out here. We're we're actually on about forty. We're a, a subcontractor on about 40 different contracts. So that gives us a lot of positions. And so there's a lot of opportunity for engineers to come. There's very low risk that we have a position for them. And generally, if there's a place in, you know, in the government uh, that they want to work, we probably have access to the contract that supports it. Right. Uh, but a number of our, our engineers are coming because they want a way to take all the things they've learned working on those contracts for a while and figure out how to apply it to commercial solutions that can be sold to commercial companies. So you say there's almost negative unemployment. You help right. your engineers kind of, uh, you know, find their interests, but then you also said you had the aces for some of these contracts. It seems like we have some competing forces there. How do you, how do you manage that? If, if they go off and use Launchpad and correct me if I'm wrong and they create their own company, but they were the ace, do you then scramble to find another ace or, or yeah, are so, they still beholden to you or how does that work? No. So I, I mean, when I, when I, uh, go to recruit an engineer, one of the things I tell them, and, and this is a great, uh, recruiting slogan. I say, come to masterpiece. You can work overtime for free. And if you're good, we'll teach you how to leave the company. Right. So, you know, it's a, that's a, that's something, right. Um, but really what we're saying is if you're really an ace and you really think you can start up your own business, you know, the first uh, work in there, you have to kind of be committed to it. You have to put in the effort and being a, an entrepreneur is a hard uh, thing to do. And we'll help you wind down that government job, start up that company and um, and eventually leave. And what we're hoping for and, and what we've seen and demonstrated is that because we do that well, we can offset the people who leave with new people. You know, I, I think historically there's a whole just a, a, a list of companies that were founded by people that were really technologically ingenious. They had a great idea. They were great developers. 
but terrible business people. So it, it's neat to, to see, you know, where you've, you're kind of establishing almost like a mentorship, right? To, to help them learn those skills to get out there and be successful. Um, now, if an engineer wants to engage with you to, to join the program, you know, they, they want to get involved in that, uh, do we need to worry about things like uh, citizenship and security clearance or because yes. it's a subcontractor uh, that is uh, an issue? Yeah, the, we, we are, our core engineers are all cleared U.S. citizens. Do you help them go through that process to, uh, uh, to get those um, We do, clearances? although I would say the vast majority of engineers come with clearances. So they're, they're already in this marketplace, and what they're looking for is a different way to participate in it. Gotcha. Okay, I was just going to ask, you know, we talked about some of the products that were being developed. Uh, I, I know, obviously, a lot of these are probably under some kind of um, NDA or whatever, but are you able to, to describe any of the commercial products that you guys have developed? Sure. I can talk about three of them, and, and we talk about them a bit on our website. So we have um, one product that's focused on securing uh, industrial uh, IoT devices. And when I say that, I mean buildings. Uh, we've got a deployment now in a large uh, metro rail system. We're securing like turnstiles and the fare card systems for one of the largest metros in the country. Um, and uh, that company is called Zool. And uh, their, their uh, kind of core products are the key mat and the gatekeeper. So you can probably <laughs> definitely go. Oh, that was my next question. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Wait well, a we minute. Actually, uh, we talked with uh, it was Edward Stanford at uh, at RSA a couple years back. And so when when we started talking here, I was like, hold on, this is and I looked back up on on, on YouTube and we have uh, an interview that, that Daniel did with uh, with Zool. So, um, you know, definitely something we've heard of. And, and I remember that was the question, too, like. Really? The gatekeeper and the key master? <laughs> I don't know awesome. if you can see. I mean, you've got, you know, trade secrets behind you on a whiteboard, but Don's got a, uh, uh, yeah, a large, yeah, I don't uh, think we can get that on camera. I don't think we can, yeah, but it's Vigo. Vigo the Car Carpathian. The Carpathian. Yeah. Vigo the Carpathian yeah. right on the wall right here. We, we actually stopped them from naming all the components <laughs> of the systems after the various ghosts because it was really hard to tell what they did. <laughs> you know, from a maintenance perspective, it's useful if the pieces kind of allow you to know what they're supposed to do so that that was early on that was that was a thing but it's kind of uh as as the business has become a business there's a little bit less of that but another one we have we have a uh startup called yikes and uh the founder of that uh the original founder now it's a team of a few people but the original founder is by a guy by the name of kevin yike and uh y-e-i-c-h but we um we kept saying this was Kevin Yikes' idea, apostrophe S, and eventually we told him, you can't come up with a name for it. We're just going to call it Yikes. And so, <laughs> and thank you for spelling how... it properly, though, if you spelled the company Y-I-K-E-S. So the company's name is Y-I-K-E-S, exclamation point. Thank goodness. But that's a pretty nifty, it's a next generation home small business router, Wi-Fi capability. And it really flips the whole way you think about networking on its head. So if you think about networking back from the days of, you know, Bob Metcalf at uh, 3Com, who said that the value of a network is the square of the number of nodes, right? That's Metcalf's law. And it was kind of a reason for connecting everything to everything. And of course, that's what made things very hard to secure because everything connects kind of easily to everything. And some of those things that connect aren't good. And so Yikes switches that around and basically 
creates a separate network using software-defined networking for every device on your home network. So it starts off where nothing talks to anything, and then it uses some machine learning algorithms and some other knowledge to identify what kind of devices are on your network and which ones are actually allowed to communicate to each other and how, and also where on the internet should they be allowed to go and how, and securing them when you have a network with one device is a much simpler problem than when you have a network with you know, 50, 100, 200. So, so that's kind of what Yikes is about. But again, it's another example. You think about it, networking, software-defined networking, network security is a skill set that our engineers, because of the work they do on contract, are actually really good at. All right. I want to double back to something that we mentioned earlier in the interview. And, and actually, if you're just tuning in, we're interviewing uh, Drew Cohen, who is the CEO of Masterpiece Solutions. And we're talking about not just Masterpiece, but also the uh, the Launchpad product, which is, is uh, what my next question is about. Uh, we mentioned with, with Launchpad how you were able to, to help these developers kind of take an idea, turn that into a company, and, and actually get that going and being profitable. Uh, in those scenarios, Launchpad... It's, it's more, it's really focused on the business side of things, not software development, right? So we're not really talking about any software tools per se. It's, it's just business processes? So it's a combination of technology and business. So one of the things that, you know, Matchpiece itself is about 80 people now. Uh, we have about eight companies uh, in various stages of maturity. And most of them start with a core of between, you know, three and five people. But when they need help, um, a bunch of the other engineers can that are that are typically working on the services side, if they have a specialized expertise, can help. And one of the things we have that's kind of unique is every employee on at Masterpiece on the services side actually gets equity in every startup. So there's an incentive for them to help the startup, and that gives a deep bench of technology expertise to the startups, especially specialized expertise where you know finding just the right person to know something is expensive for a startup, especially when we're doing startups that have focused on some fairly esoteric technologies. Um, so that's a piece of it. And then um, the companies are also the, while that startup's in maturing, while that technology is being developed, the guys are still working part-time on contract. So they start on contract 100% and they kind of slowly spend less time on contract and more time on their startup. And that gives them a, a source of income coming in. In addition to then the sales help, the business formation help, the net bringing other executives and things like that on board. Hey, you you kind of answered what I was about to to ask there at the end, but just to clarify, so do you, do you get a lot of people that you know uh, build something with Launchpad, but then just continue to stay on uh, and kind of work on on both uh, in perpetuity? Yeah, so we have kind of three groups of engineers. Um, there's a set of people that are coming to Masterpiece to start their startup with the intent of going. And, you know, then we say fond farewell. Edward is one of those. So he's he's no longer part of Masterpiece Solutions. He's a Zuli, right? And and he's gone and a couple guys are, are with him. Uh, then we have people at Masterpiece that are on the service side and they always just want to kind of focus on the services and they like the fact we're on a lot of contracts and they're very engineering centric. And then we have people in the middle that are, um, you know, working predominantly on the services side, but um, 
are willing to help the startups as they start and uh, work across them or, uh, you know, kind of deep dive in for a while and then come back. Gotcha. So if someone does fit your qualifications, you know, U.S. citizen has the clearances, uh, is, is everything uh, have to take place in the office there? Do you have remote, uh, you know, contractors as well? So the contract work is typically at a government site or um, at the prime contractor facility, wherever the place of employment of that contract is. Uh, the masterpiece side, on the, on the launch pad side, we have some facilities for the folks to come in and um, they can also do that. You know, now they're building commercial companies so they can work remotely and you know, in whatever works best for that company. But we provide some facility, you know, both in company infrastructure as well as remote infrastructure to help facilitate that. So I have to say that you know this is it's a pretty unique solution from you know the various other organizations we've talked to. It, it kind of sounds like a, an interesting blend between uh, you know just contract developers and and almost like a private equity firm in a way that you're building a portfolio of companies that help each other. Uh, I'm curious, how did you get the idea for this? How how did how did you get you know, just way back at the beginning when you said this this is what we need to do is put this together? So a little bit has to do with my background. So I started my career. Uh, uh, long enough ago that, you know, I won't mention how long ago it was, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I was an engineer, I was a software developer. I started with a defense contractor and, uh, early on I got to know, um, Mark Andreessen when he was still in school and, you know, was building the mosaic, uh, web browser and thought, wow, this internet thing maybe could be big. And I wanted to do something besides government contracting. And the guy who was the CEO of that company was a company by the name of BTG. And the guy who founded it was a guy by the name of Ed Bursoff. And I'm still friendly with Ed. Um, helped me get connected with some commercial people and helped me start a business. I was the CTO of a business. Uh, Intel took an interest in that business and I moved out to the West Coast. And I actually was a director at Intel for a couple of years in the Bay Area and got connected with Intel's venture group. And then subsequently started my own business called Neoplanet, which we sold to Compaq again in the in the 90s. And so I kind of was a West Coast startup guy. Uh, but after 9-11, decided to do more work in the government, moved back to the East Coast and was at Booz Allen. It was a partner at Booz Allen. So I've got kind of government contracting back background and tech, you know, on contract engineering background and West Coast tech background. And what I realized was I really like working with that early create new ideas, create companies. And if we could do that for other, and I knew that that, there was, that wasn't so unique. There's a lot of engineers that want that opportunity to do that and they don't know how to do it. So it seemed like a good time to, to, uh, to help connect and, and, and kind of pass that on. And in fact, we were here last night. We had one of our Launchpad startup classes last night. So we had people here till 10 o'clock last night working on it. So it's a, there's a lot of camaraderie and um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool environment. All right, Drew. Well, I can already see like Justin's wheels turning about, you know, I'm going to move over to these guys. You know, if someone is interested <laughs> and, and wants to, uh, uh, to find out more and, and maybe come on board, uh, what's the process for doing that? Where can they find out more? So the easiest way is look us up on their on our website. It's uh, masterpieceltd.com, and the um, 
Peace and masterpiece is spelled like war and peace, not like masterpiece. I'm going to go paint a masterpiece. But the play there is a, is a little bit um, you know, kind of obvious. We're not very subtle in our puns. Um, so, so, but masterpieceltd.com, and there's uh, a career section. You can find out what our contract openings are and uh, write to us, and we're happy to, uh, to get to talk to people. We're really looking for interesting, creative engineers, right? Um, and yeah, who people that want to make a difference. <laughs> What's that? I said, who isn't? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you mentioned also you, you do some events. Uh, you have an event coming up, a hackathon of some we sort? We do. Next Thursday, we have a uh, Kotlin hackathon for you know building Android apps. And so that should be a pretty interesting one. We got I know we have about 40 or 50 people signed up to it, but we always have room for a few more. Very cool. And, and I'm sorry, earlier I said Baltimore, but uh, uh, you guys are outside of Baltimore in the, in the, the, the beautiful parts of Maryland. We're in Columbia. Yeah. So. Is that not the beautiful part you know, of America? That's what they call it. Yeah, right? It used to be unknown, right? When when I used to work up here, uh, you know, this was the place between Baltimore and Washington that nobody knew about. But uh, <laughs> they they found it's it. It's grown quite. <laughs> Everybody found it. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you, uh, Drew, so much for joining us today. And, and hopefully, um, you know, as you guys have new uh, products to come out of Launchpad, we'd love to to hear about the cool things you guys are doing. Sound good? Absolutely. Sounds great. All right. Thanks so much. And by the way, oh, yeah. I'd also offer if you guys ever want to see some of our classes live, we could uh, uh, we could do something like that, too. Yeah, I could definitely it's see some cool synergy there. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll check in with you on that and do that for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for watching. But stay tuned because we've got more Technado coming up right after this. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training. And last year alone, they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV, I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to TechNATO, and thank you to Drew for that interview today. And that, that's a, a cool program because, I mean, I feel like you're worried all the time if you're hiring developers, like, oh, this guy's really good, he's going to jump ship. But you're basically giving him the tools that he, he can jump ship and uh, more chance of maybe him sticking around with you then and, and uh, working on other projects for you. Yeah, I know a lot of developers that have a business idea. They have to partner up with somebody uh, who, well, I, just take me, for example, like IT Pro TV, where I'm a, I'm a good technical trainer, but I'm not a business person. Yeah. So I teamed up with somebody. And, and oh. if you've got somebody who you, uh, uh, I know, who uh, you know you trust that you, you can do that, then it works out great. But a lot of developers don't have that. So here's somebody they can work with and actually learn those skills so they can do it themselves. Yeah, you should be able to trust yourself, probably. And it's an interesting model because I think uh, the, the way he described it, everybody kind of benefits, right? He benefits, they benefit. Um, it, it's kind of like a, a personal and professional growth model. Yeah, it's almost like a work-life balance, but it's like yeah. your your personal work that you, your passion project, you can bring them into your yeah. other work. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we'll be able to check back in with them too when we're uh, when they have some new products and cool things like or if, if it's anything as cool as something Zool. called Zool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, all right, but we did mention, and, and uh, during a little break here, Don did uh, bring up and find that, yes, there are, in fact, cat drones. 
So I had I had not heard this. This was totally off my radar. I don't read drone news or anything. Uh, so when you Trick mentioned drone taxidermy drones, I I honestly didn't believe you. Uh, uh, but sure enough, out of the Netherlands. And you know, for our listeners, you'll be spared this. But for our viewers, uh, we'll turn we'll yeah, away now. If we'll you're... Show, yeah, if you're weak of heart, uh, we'll just show <laughs> one one image here. Uh, the guy's actually a tach- taxidermist that made a cat drone. Yeah, it's... just a simple YouTube search will uh, will just uh, you know make your day if you're into weird stuff like that, or it'll ruin your day if you like cats. You know. So. I wonder, the people who originally created the internet, the way for us to be able to share information between countries, between this is exactly religious what beliefs. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what the they dream. Envisioned. This is it. Yeah, I think yeah. when Al Gore was like, hey, I'm, I got this idea. Let's put these tubes together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll do man, bear, pig, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll get cat drones. One day, a cat will fly. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. cat's flying. Uh, all right, well, um, it, even with that drone talk and that whole interview, which... Boy, did I go crazy on my buzzword bingo card. Um, but I'm still one away if I go that way. I'm two away if I go that way. What are you, You're close. Um, I, you're I, close got, but... I got two in a Ooh. couple of different directions. Yeah, I was hoping that. that one would uh-huh, come along. Uh-huh. You know, it, it has been exceptionally hot outside here the last few days. So at least in Florida, we don't have to worry about getting snowed in. Ah, ah doesn't count. No, that's not, that's not correct. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you guys can't see Peter's bingo card, but he is a uh, an Edward away from winning. Yep, <laughs> I am one traitor short. Uh, just one little treason. All right, I am not. Oh, actually, I am. I I would need a. Uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, he's he needs that happen. too. You can say it uh, because it, it won't give him bingo, and it won't give me bingo. That just sounds like a trick. <laughs> no, I'm saying you can I, say it because then it doesn't I help you. I promise. Oh, well. All right. Anyway, yeah. if you want to play Buzzword Bingo along with us, please do. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Go.itpro.tv slash buzzword dash bingo. Uh, and, and go ahead on, on Twitter there and let us know with the hashtag uh, technado uh, how you did in your Buzzword Bingo. Hopefully better than us this week. Uh, also, while you're over there on the Internet, why don't you head over to Go.itpro.tv slash technado. And you can find out all about IT Pro TV as well as a seven-day free trial and a promo code for when you decide to move forward. Forward, uh, with a paid subscription and access over 4,300 hours of amazing IT training. So that's go.itpro.tv slash technado. Head over there. And finally, uh, I want to let you know about some webinars coming up. We just had a webinar uh, today about ITIL 4 Foundation Test Prep. Uh, that'll be in the archive um, very shortly here. But if you uh, if you head to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can see the next one coming up is PowerShell to the People uh, on June uh, 6th. That's a Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern time with uh, Mike and Cherokee. They'll be talking all about PowerShell. Uh, and we've got some more coming up in the future um, as well, but all the past ones uh, you can access from that page, itpro.tv slash webinars. All right, gentlemen, uh, that uh, that took a weird turn at the end, I feel like. <laughs> we came, we saw, we laughed, we cried, we got sad. Yeah, we. I mean, we got mad at a lot of different we companies did. today. We yeah, did. IT really sucked this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best week, but hopefully, I mean, I told you it'd be a letdown, uh, episode 101. It's just not going to have that same no. uh, excitement as, as number 100. But 102, uh, I mean, we're we're almost at 200 at that point. So yeah, we're going uh, on 200. Turn around. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to get there. You just jinxed it. Good times. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, and we will see you next week right here on Technado. <laughs>